bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratty. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. We got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these big signals and messages. He doesn't have a bipartisan bill. Nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, April 9th, 2013, and I'm in Washington, D.C. I begin this week's podcast with an update from Washington regarding the release of the Obama administration's budget proposal for fiscal year 2014, and also information about a few congressional hearings that may be of interest. Then, in this week's Long Housing Tax Credit section, I'll break down the changes to each state's housing tax credit ceilings. These changes resulted from last week's publication of updated population estimates. I'll also discuss highlights from the National Council of State Housing Agencies Housing Tax Credit Utilization Data for 2011. And our final housing topic is an update from Missouri, where the state auditor announced last week his plans to audit the state low-income housing tax credit program. In this week's historic tax credit section, I'll share a state-level update from Alabama, where legislation to create a state historic tax credit made progress again last week. In our new market tax credit segment, I'll review the CDFI Fund's most recent QEI issuance report. Finally, in the renewable energy tax credit section, I'll discuss the recent increase in the production tax credit annual percentage. This increase was announced last week. So if you're ready, let's get started. In general news, the Obama administration will be releasing its budget proposal tomorrow. This is the budget proposal for fiscal year 2014. In addition to including spending or appropriation levels, what's perhaps of most interest to our listeners will be the proposed budget's detail on the President's tax proposals for the coming year. Now, the following day, April 11th, the House Ways and Means Committee will hold a hearing on the budget, and this hearing is scheduled to have one witness, Treasury Secretary Jacob Liu. I should note that the Senate Finance Committee is also holding a hearing on the administration's fiscal year 2014 budget, and the witness there will also be Secretary Liu. Now, in announcing the House hearing, Committee Chairman Dave Camp reiterated his committee's commitment to comprehensive tax reform, a tax reform that eliminates tax loopholes, simplifies the code, and lowers tax rates. He said, and I quote, This hearing will provide both the committee an opportunity to review the President's tax proposals and Treasury Secretary Liu the opportunity to describe how the administration intends to work with the committee and Congress to pass and enact comprehensive tax reform. Close quote. Now, speaking of tax reform, last week, 21 CEOs from some of the country's largest companies sent a letter to the chairman and ranking members of the House Ways and Means Committee and the Senate Finance Committee. What did the letter say? You guessed it, they called for comprehensive tax reform. The letter reinforces the growing momentum for comprehensive tax reform, a tax reform that may be modeled on the 1986 tax reform package, including House Speaker John Boehner's designation of H.R. 1 for a potential tax reform bill and President Obama's expression of support for revenue-neutral corporate tax reform. As we've said before, 
the distinction between corporate tax reform and comprehensive tax reform may be a sticking point as we move down the corporate and individual tax reform discussions. There's also a hearing by Representative Charles Bustani coming up. This is his in his role as Chairman of the Ways and Means Subcommittee on Oversight. Last week, he announced that he's going to be holding a hearing examining the government's ability to prioritize its obligations and continue to operate should the U.S. Treasury reach its statutory debt ceiling. The hearing is going to take place tomorrow, Wednesday, April 10th. On December 31st, the Treasury Department announced, as many of our listeners know, that the public had reached, or the public debt had reached, the statutory limit of $16.4 trillion. And that additional means, which they refer to as extraordinary measures, were in use to fund the government for a limited period of time. Then, on January 23rd, the House of Representatives passed, and on February 4th, President Obama signed into law a temporary debt limit suspension that would ensure payment of the nation's obligations through May 18th. After this date in May, the aggregate debt ceiling limit will be amended to reflect the total amount borrowed, which may lead the Treasury Department to again have to use extraordinary measures, which is what's expected. Then the expectation is these extraordinary measures would take the government through August. Now, the Subcommittee on Oversight is expected to examine how the government would operate upon reaching the debt ceiling limit, as well as concerns members of Congress have about the operation of current law under these circumstances. Also, on one other hearing, I wanted to note that last week's general discussion, I told you about a hearing coming up on April 5th, a HUD hearing. That hearing was postponed. The House Financial Services Committee's Oversight and Investigation Subcommittee was scheduled to hold a hearing to examine reports of waste, fraud, and abuse in the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Now, at the time of this recording, the hearing has not yet been rescheduled, but they did say it would be rescheduled. Once a new date is set, I'll share that information in a future podcast and via Twitter. In low-income housing tax credit news, as I mentioned last week, the Internal Revenue Service released 2013 calendar year resident population figures. These figures are used to determine states' 2013 low-income housing tax credit ceilings and taxes at private activity bond caps. This year, each state's low-income housing tax credit ceiling in 2013 is equal to the greater of $2.25 multiplied by the state population or $2.59 million, often referred to as the small state minimum. Now, the 2.25 is an increase from 2.2 in 2011. A state's taxes and bond volume cap is the greater of $95 multiplied by the state's population or a small state minimum of $291 million. Now, the $95 per capita amount is the same as in 2012. There was no inflation adjustment there. Now, this increase equates to $21.2 million in total long housing tax credit volume cap. Once again, the increase in population in 2013 combined with the extra $0.05 for long housing tax credits means there will be $21.2 million more in annual long housing tax credit volume cap, or $210 million over 10 years. Now, on the taxes and bond side, since there was no increase in the per capita amount, there there's $378 million more in total bond cap, and that's available simply because of the increase in population. 
The IRS's figures are based on data published by the Census Bureau in December, and they do show that the country's population increased by 2.3 million people for 2013. That's about a 0.72% increase over the 2012 population. Now, several states saw significant population gains and declines. District of Columbia led the pack with a 2.32% gain, North Dakota 2.29, Texas 1.5%, Wyoming increased in population 1.45, Colorado 1.38, and then Florida, Utah, Nevada, Hawaii, and Alaska rounded out the top 10 states, territories, and insular areas for population gain. Now, although the District of Columbia and North Dakota topped the list in terms of population percent gain, they remained at the small state minimum, so their cap increase was $65,000. Now, by total number of residents, Texas, California, Florida, New York, and Georgia had the largest increases in estimated population. Now, these increases mean corresponding increases in state and local housing tax credit cap. And when you combine that with the extra $0.05, you find that Texas's cap goes up $2.1 million, California goes up by $2.7 million, Florida 1.5, New York 1.2, and then Georgia 730,000, more than in 2012. Once again, these are annual amounts. Now, seven areas lost residents this year. The Northern Mariana Islands, Puerto Rico, U.S. Virgin Islands, American Samoa, Rhode Island, Vermont, and Ohio. Northern Mariana Islands lost 4.62%, Puerto Rico 1%, U.S. Virgin Islands, American Samoa were 1% each, and then Rhode Island, Vermont, and Ohio were were 0.1% or less in reductions in population. Even though they lost population, the state loans and tax credit ceilings increased in 2013. That's because they either received a small state minimum, which grew, or that extra five cents and the per capita amount was enough to offset the reduction in population. Overall, there are 13 states or areas that will receive the low-income housing tax credit small state minimum in 2013. These are also the same states that received that minimum in 2012. Now, looking at private activity bond caps, the 25 states or areas that will receive the small state minimum in 2013 are the same 25 that received the small state minimum in 2012. Now, if you're interested in spending more time looking at these population figures, you can go to Notice 2013-15 that announced the figures, and that's available at www.taxcredithousing.com. We also have some interesting graphics where we chart the annual per capita caps uh, since 1986. Now, speaking of annual data, last month the National Council of State Housing Agencies revised its Long Housing Tax Credit Utilization data for 2011. The organization reports that in 2011, the total amount of per capita credits used by state housing agencies was approximately $679 million, and that's the per capita amount. After factoring in additional credits through GoZone or disaster area, as well as return carryover national pool tax credits, NCSSA says the total amount of credits used in 2011 was more than $772 million. In 2011, according to NCSSA estimates, 9% LHDC credits financed 47,664 affordable apartment units. Tax and bonds financed another 38,801 units. That's a combined production 
and or preservation of 86,465 low-income apartments. This amount represents a slight decrease from 2010, when NCHSA's data showed 90,174 low-income apartments were financed with housing tax credits. Of that 90,000, 56,614 were financed with 9% tax credits, and 33,560 were financed with taxes and bonds. You can find a link to the complete set of data from NCHHA on my blog. Go to novogradic.wordpress.com. Now let's turn to the state of Missouri. The Missouri State Auditor announced last week that his office started an audit of the state's low-income housing tax credit program. This program, which is administered by the Missouri Housing Development Commission, provides a state tax credit to investors for the creation and preservation of affordable rental housing. The state low-income housing tax credit has been a focus of debate in Missouri for a number of years and is expected to be a hot-button issue again this year. For instance, in 2008, an audit performed under then-auditor Susan Monte found that the state's housing tax credit was costly. Then, in March 2010, the committee in the General Assembly, Missouri's General Assembly, the Committee on Legislative Research, their oversight division, issued a program evaluation that recommended asking the General Assembly to consider setting limits on all state tax credit programs. Now, in the current legislative session, at least two bills have been introduced that would limit Missouri State Loan Compensation Tax Credit ceiling. Copies of those bills can be found online at www.taxcredithousing.com. Simply click the State Legislation button under the Legislation tab. Proponents of limiting or eliminating the State Housing Tax Credit argued that such moves could increase tax revenue for the state. In 2012, for instance, the State Low-Income Housing Tax Credit provided $164 million for low-income housing developments. Now, supporters of the State Low-Income Housing Tax Credit argue that limiting the program would have an adverse effect on low-income communities across the state, making it increasingly difficult to fund the creation and preservation of affordable rental housing. In announcing the review, the Missouri State Auditor invited those interested in providing information during the audit of the program to contact the state's auditor's office. You can reach them at 800-347-8597 or email at moaudit at auditor.mo.gov. In historic tax credit news, I have an update on an Alabama state tax credit item that we discussed a month ago. In February, HB 140 was introduced and proposed creating a state income tax credit for the rehabilitation, preservation, and development of historic structures. The state historic tax credit would be 25% of qualified rehab expenditures for certified historic structures and 10% for pre-1936 non-historic structures. It would essentially resemble the federal program. The program would have an annual cap, though, of $30 million, and project awards would be capped at $5 million for historic structure and a lower number of $50,000 if it's a residential structure. The tax credits as proposed would be transferable. Now, if the Act passes, the law requires program rules to be in place by September 1, 2013, and applications would be accepted October 1, 2013. Furthermore, successful applicants could begin claiming historic tax credits in taxable year 2014. What's the new news? Last week, the bill was passed in the Alabama House of Representatives and will now go to the Senate. More than 30 states, by the way, have state-level historic tax credits, and generally speaking, it's believed that these programs encourage considerably more historic preservation of public activity 
in the states where they exist. We'll continue to update you on the bill's progress in future podcasts. And if you want to look at the text of HB 140, go online at www.historictaxcredits.com. In new market tax credit news, last week the CDFI fund released the March update to its ongoing qualified equity investment issuance report. The monthly report identifies each entity that has received new market tax credit allocations, total allocation amount received by each entity, the allocation dollar amount issued to investors, the amount remaining to be issued, as well as the predominant market served by each entity. In March, more than $57.8 million of QEIs were finalized. That's about $15.9 million more than the amount finalized the month before in February. As of April 2nd, the amount of new market tax allocation authority that's not finalized from allocation rounds to date is nearly $1.8 billion. Although, as many of our listeners know, nearly all of that is unofficially committed. However, the CDFI fund plans to announce awards later this month for applications received under the 2012 New Market Tax Rate Allocation. That should bring another $3.5 billion into the equation. Now, for help finding an allocation or closing a transaction, I encourage you to contact one of my partners, and that's Stevenson in our Cleveland office, Owen Gray in our San Francisco office, or other partners in a Novogratic office near you. I also invite you to join us at our Novogratic Spring New Market Tax Rate Conference in Washington, D.C., June 6th and 7th. You'll have the opportunity there to learn more about April's allocations, meet allocatees, and forge new partnerships. Register today at www.novaco.com, where you can get an early bird savings discount as long as you register before May 14th. There's a lot of highlights from the conference, including Congressman Tiberi, the chair of the House Select Revenue Subcommittee, will be providing a keynote address on Thursday morning. In renewable energy tax credit news, the Internal Revenue Service last week published updated annual percentages for renewable energy production tax credits under Section 45. These annual percentage rates can be adjusted by the IRS for inflation. This year's rate increase includes an increase for the production tax credit for energy that's generated by wind, geothermal, solar, and closed-loop biomass. The production tax credit for wind will be 2.3 cents per kilowatt hour in 2013. That's up from 2.2 cents per kilowatt hour in 2012. Now, the IRS previously adjusted the annual PTC percentage in 2010 when it raised the tax incentive to 2.2 cents. Before that, the, the last increase in the PTC was in 2008 when it was raised to 2.1 from 2.0, or 2 cents. You can find a link to the notice announcing this increase, as well as historical records of reference rates through 2005, online at www.energytaxcredits.com. Questions about applying the new rate should be directed to my partner, Stephen Tracy, in our San Francisco office at 415-356-8000. And I'd also like to encourage you to join us in San Francisco for our Renewable Energy Tax Credit Conference coming up in just two weeks. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Please join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. And also follow me on Twitter as the President's budget comes out tomorrow. There will be lots of Twitter updates on various key provisions. And in the coming weeks on Tax Credit Tuesday, we'll be updating you on various aspects of the President's budget both on the spending side and, in some ways more significantly, on the tax proposal side. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. 
Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novograd and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novoco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratic and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com. <laughs>